I do this every week, we do it most weeks as a reminder that God invites us from every unique background and situation and circumstance, and the church becomes the place and the people that we gather together. And so as we go to the Lord in prayer, we want to pray for a couple specific things today. We want to pray um, for some who've been in and out of the hospital this week. Uh, we're thankful the Lord Corporate is now out of the hospital. We want to pray also. Um, we want to continue to pray for, for Bob Squires with the loss of his wife, Eva, and so we're going to continue to lift him up today. And we find ourselves also praying today. We want to pray for the, the, the Grand Haven Nazarene Church. Their pastor resigned last Sunday. We want to pray, pray for them and their church during these days. We're reminded that, that the church is never like a single people. We pray for Port City Church down the road or Fellowship on Apple or other churches in our area because we're all in this together. Uh, so we want to pray for our fellow churches today. And we want to pray, in case you haven't noticed, it's summer. And in summer, we have people who disappear. Um, and so we want to pray for those traveling, that everyone would travel safely. So we pray with me. Father, we come before you today. Thankful in a God who unites us. That your church transitions us from who we are to who you're calling us to be. That in the world in which we live, that somehow you say to us, the kingdom of God should, should be above and beyond our politics, our preferences. And that your church is the one thing that transcends even national borders. So we have brothers and sisters who are gathering today all around the world, and may we recognize that your church is the one thing you promise us that nothing can overcome. And so will you help us these days to pray for each other? So we do pray for uh, the Abbott family and the Grand Haven Nazarene family as well. We pray today for Port City or Fellowship Re Reformed and whoever else needs to hear from you today. That we're never in this for ourselves, but for your sake and for your kingdom. We pray today, Father, that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us to be your unique people in this world. We pray especially for those who are hurting and suffering today. Pray especially for Bob Squires. We pray especially for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We think of the McElroy family and the Holman family. And we pray prayers of celebration for what you have and then what you continue to do among us and in us and through us. Pray for those who physically would love to be with us today but just are not able, and so we pray that you be with them. Pray for those who are traveling, as we know summer is a time of many taking vacations. We pray that you would be present and that there would be times of celebration and reflection of the joy you call us to live out. And Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would change our hearts that we look more like your son Jesus and less like ourselves. So Father, we pray that you would speak this morning, not even I, but you. And so we thank you for this time together and we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning uh, we're going to finish up our series in the book of James. And so we're going to invite you in just a few moments to turn to James chapter 5. I begin verse 13, but I was thinking this week about how so often, um, how often do we really stop and evaluate our lives? I mean, to actually stop and look and see where we spend our time, our energy, our commitments, what, what we do with that. I mean, how often do we really take stock of what we're doing, of where we're going, of what we value, what we say we value? Um, 
For most of us, we just live going from one thing to the other, from one moment to the next, and we don't really think about what we're doing. I mean, here's an example. I mean, how many of us have said before, oh, I'm not eating another meal at that fast food place, only to later eat another meal at that place? I know, I'm speaking to myself, I said about a year ago, I'm never eating, I mean, sorry if you like it, I'm never eating McDonald's again, no matter how much my kids like it. That's a lie. I have. I still regret it every time. I mean, like, what is it? We say we, we value something, but we end up doing the opposite. I mean, we say we really value certain things in life, but sometimes our life doesn't reflect those things that we say we value. Have you noticed this? Like, maybe we say we were going to model generosity, but we know as soon as our check comes in, it's already spent on stuff, and there's no room for generosity because it's all gone. Or maybe we say, I'm going to read more books this year. But you realize that means you have to watch less television. So that hasn't happened. Like, right, you know, like I'm, I really think reading is important. I haven't read a book in a decade, but I really think it's important. I mean, what are other things that we think we, like we, maybe we value work, but we don't want to go? <laughs> or maybe we say we value our family, but we're always at work. I mean, whatever that looks like, we do our values line up with our actions. Our values reflect the life we want them to live. See, I think for many of us, we, we know that to live out of the values we want to live out of, it takes more than wishful thinking. Like, I've learned wishful thinking doesn't get me very far. I've tried. Like, I hope for this. It doesn't work. In fact, have you noticed that it often takes, like, significant life change? Like, scheduling changes or financial changes or job changes or diet changes— on and on it goes. Whatever we say we value to reflect that requires actual change in our life. So what happens then for many of us is we have our stated values, the things we say we value, and they're usually really good. And we have our actual values, the things we actually do. Right? So stated and actual don't always look the same. Have you noticed this? See, in many ways, this is kind of what we've been talking about as we look through the book of James. James has been writing in such a way that he hopes us, as followers of Jesus, to begin to know what we're to live out, what it should look like, what our stated values should be, and at the same time, how they should be modeled in our actual values. And so the hard part for us is trying to figure out what are those actual values? What are the things we really should value if we say we want to be followers of Jesus? I mean, James is really kind of kind of been focusing on kind of three things, I would say, if I were to, to just narrow it to three so far. Um, speak well of people. It sounds simple, right? Just speak well of people all the time, period. Like, don't, don't be people who are hypocritical, who say one thing to someone and something different somewhere else. No, just be the same all the time. If you're going to say a mean thing, say it to their face. Like that. I mean, he's just, he's just honest. Like, speak well of people. And in fact, don't say it about them unless you'd want someone to say it about you. Oh, I don't like that line. I mean, but that's what James says. And then he adds to that, he says, don't be judgmental. Like, don't judge people. That's God's job, not yours. He even quotes his brother Jesus who said, like, by the measure you judge other people, that's how you'll be judged. Ouch. (laughs) I don't know that I like that either. And then he's basically said throughout this book, Actively seek the betterment of others. Right? Live in such a way that you're trying to improve the lives of those around you. 
whether you like them or not. James has been really practical. In fact, I would challenge each of us, if we were to reread this book over and over again, this letter that James writes to the early church, if we were to reread this over and over again, we would probably live much differently, or we would just memorize it and not use it, which we do that probably sometimes anyway. Like, I know people who have whole sections of the Bible memorized. It's really impressive, except they don't live out a lot of it, so it's not that impressive anymore. But what if, what if we began to have stated values and actual values that were the same? And that's really what James wants us to know. And so he's been inviting us into a particular way of life because he watched his brother Jesus throughout his entire life. And he says, listen, if this is what it means to live as a follower of God, like my brother, if you to be like my brother, here's what his life looked like. And he just tells us what that looks like. And so we're going to finish that today. I invite you to stand as we read from James chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 20. As we said, if you're a guest with us today, it's the first time, uh, we're glad you're here. But we've been looking at this book of James, and James is the brother of Jesus. And he writes this brother and, and writes this letter to the early church about his brother and basically says this, Hey, I didn't really believe in him, but I went so far from not believe, believing in him to now I pray to him. And so here's what James writes. James chapter 5 verse 13 says this, if, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Right, James begins with, it, with kind of an interesting thing, right? I mean, it, it sounds really foreign to us. He says, if you're in trouble, pray. Right, that's actually not that foreign. I don't know if you noticed this, but people who aren't even sure if they believe in God when they're in trouble, they pray, right? I go, they don't know who they're praying to, but they're all about praying. Have you noticed this? I mean, you can watch, if you follow things on like Twitter or some other social media platform, people are like, oh, I'm praying for you. Like, will you pray? Well, I'm now. I mean, like that, that's, we, we get, if we're in trouble, we pray. It makes sense. So James is saying, hey, that, that's a good thing. Now also pray when you're not in trouble, like that will be even better. Um, pray all the time. And then he says this, that if you're, if you're happy, if you're joyful, you should sing. Like your life should be a song. And I heard many of you sing today. And I'm glad he doesn't say sing well. He just says sing. I mean, I heard myself too, so I can say that well. But, but then James quickly comes back to prayer because he recognizes for many of us that this is a hard way of life. We don't think about it often. And he says, if someone is sick, call the elders of the church to pray over them. Right? I want, I want to be clear. Um, James isn't just saying, hey, just call the old people to come pray. Now, they may be old people. But what he's saying is this. Call those who have spiritual maturity and you've seen it. Invite them to pray over you. Right? Invite those who, who have 
who've dedicated their lives to growth in Christ and invite them to pray. I mean, we, if we're talking about like the church in Nazarene, in our, in our church, we, we have one retired elder and me, the only two elders in our church, if we look from, from our perspective. But this is the, the way we invite people to pray because there's something powerful that happens when we pray for one another. And he says, anoint them with oil and pray over them. I mean, this idea that God wants to bring healing. Now, I want to be clear today. Um, sometimes people will say things like, well, if you just have more faith, you'll be healed. Well, you may be, but also every one of us is going to die unless Christ returns. So, your healing is not permanent. Unless you count the resurrection at the end of all things, when God redeems and restores and makes all things new. So I think it's important to know sometimes if you're not healed, it's not because God doesn't love you, or God didn't love them, or they were more faithful, or you were less faithful. That's not how God works. But I was thinking about how often God does incredible things in prayer. So I was thinking about a story. Um, Scott Daniels is a, a pastor I know, and, and uh, he told this story. And in the story, it's not a, like a fake story. It's a real story, but it's a, just a story. Um, and so he, he was a pastor in Richardson, Texas. And, and um, they lived in this neighborhood, and their neighbor is Scott. His neighbor was Scott, and his, Scott's wife. I don't remember Scott's wife's name. I just remember his neighbor was named Scott. And they had friends also named Scott. And he said, that's why I remember the story. But... Um, but his neighbors, Scott and his wife, had started coming to church, and, and um, their friends were in the hospital, and they had this little baby that was not doing well at all. And she went and knocked on Scott's door, and she said, Scott, would you come pray um, for our friend's baby? Would you, would you just come pray? Like, we, we, we don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They don't have a church. They don't pastor. Uh, and would you bring that oil stuff? Like, I've seen you use it, like the oil stuff. And he's like, yeah, okay, I, I can bring the oil stuff. Yeah, that's cool. So he goes to the hospital, he prays for this little baby, and, and, um, and the next day she calls and she goes, Scott, will you come back to the hospital and pray with this little baby again and bring the oil stuff? Okay, I'll bring the oil stuff. And the next day he goes back and he prays, and, and like, the baby gets better. Um, and then, so they, you know, the, then he gets a call a couple weeks later, and, and um, it's the same woman, Scott's wife, the other Scott, and says, hey, can you come pray? Our, our neighbor, like, they have this issue. And so she says, and can you bring that oil stuff too? And so Scott went and prayed and brought that oil stuff. And, and, and these people got better. And so these other families started attending the church and started, started becoming a part. And, and Scott goes, I don't know that anything, I mean, God may have healed them anyway. Like, they, it could have been medical, it could have been the praying. He said, but I know this. I know they weren't a part of a church. They weren't a part of a relationship with Jesus. Before, went and prayed with that oil stuff, but I know afterward they were. See, I don't, I don't know always how God heals, but James, James kind of addresses that with his next couple lines. He says this, but, but when you pray, you'll be given forgiveness. Now, see, I don't know about you, but what I've come to believe more than about anything else is forgiveness is maybe one of the greatest ways in which we can be healed. To either offer it or to give it. Because if we don't offer forgiveness to someone, then we, we're held in bondage. And our heart is never quite right. And if we don't seek forgiveness from someone, then, then we miss the opportunity to be made whole. And this is what James knows. He knows that like, it's so easy for us to live in a world where forgiveness is something we go, oh, forget them. I'm done with them. Except we can't do that. 
Now, I want to be clear, it doesn't mean you have to put yourself back in a position like to be wounded or abused or beaten. I don't mean that, but you can forgive from afar if you need to. But what James wants us to know is that true healing comes through forgiveness. In fact, what we begin to see is that um, he says that prayer literally changes things. I've got to be honest with you. I, I will lie to you today and say that sometimes I don't struggle with this a little bit, right? You know the story of the woman or the, or the man who comes to Jesus, will you heal my, heal my daughter? She's, she's demon-possessed, and, and he says, if you're able, will you make her well? And Jesus goes, if? If I'm able? And he's like, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes that's where we live, right? Like, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. God, I want to believe so desperately. Will you help me overcome my unbelief? Like, that's okay to pray that. It's okay to seek that. It's okay to recognize our moments when, when we know we desperately need God's healing and forgiveness in some ways we've never known. But, but even in our unbelief, we know we need him. So do we pray with the sense that God really does change stuff in our life, in the lives of those around us? Do we pray with the right heart? Do we pray for the right reasons? And next, James says something that honestly, I I think if we're really honest with ourselves, is kind of hard. In fact, we, we try to minimize it in the church. Like, we'll try to dismiss it. He says this, confess your sins one to another. Ooh, Like, confess to each other? Like, I've heard people say, I've heard grown men say to me, um, I'm not, I mean, and they're older men and who've been in church a long time. And they say, I don't have to confess to anyone. Okay. It's between me and God. Okay. But you know this, it's really easy to confess to God and really hard to confess to one another. And often the greatest life changes happen when we do confess to each other. Because once we acknowledge something publicly and aloud, it loses its power. I can pray in my room all day long. I can, I can pray in my office. I can pray at the altar when there's no one here. But, but to share with someone a true struggle and a true issue and a true need, that requires vulnerability that often leads to life change. It leads to hope in my life. Because alone, it's really hard. It doesn't mean God can't do it, but, but there's a reason why James says gather one another. He doesn't say just confess publicly to everyone, but to bring some people in who you know Go back to this idea of spiritual elders, spiritually mature people. When you confess into them and they speak into your life in love, your life can be changed. But then James ends with a section that I, um, I couldn't escape this last couple of weeks as I've read through this in advance of today. He says this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Right, I want to be clear. Sometimes people use this verse to to throw in the face of other people that, hey, you're a sinner. Like, that's not what James is trying to do here, by the way, just to be clear. What he's saying this, if you will live in such a way that you embrace the life and teaching of Jesus and you reflect that, then you will live in such a way that others will be compelled to know the love of God by your life. It's our love that should compel people to know Jesus, not our words. I mean, they may be included in our love, but but it's our love. It's by love, not by shouting, that brings someone who is far from God near to God. I've yet to meet someone who has argued into the kingdom of God. Yet to meet them. I've met a lot of people who've been loved to the kingdom of God. 
I mean, did you catch that last line that says, if you'll help bring people who are far from God near to God, it covers over the multitude of sins in your own life? That's what James is saying. Like, if you get lots of stuff wrong, live in such a way that others know God's love by the way you live and invite them into a relationship with him. So I, I got to ask this question today. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus today, why is it not one of our greatest life priorities, if not the greatest life priority, to help other people know Jesus? If we're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a stated value then. How come in our life it's not often an actual value? Um, yesterday was five years to the day that I preached my first sermon here. Like, in case you didn't know that, five years yesterday. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that sermon. In fact, I pulled up that sermon a couple weeks ago, and I've read through it again. And um, you're going to hear part of it this week and part of it next week in some different kinds of ways. But it's been five years. And so um, I, I read it. I've got to read it again because I don't have it memorized yet. But I read the list of all the people who've been here before me. Uh, Frank Ockert was here f- from 1960 to 1962. James Leonard, 62 to 65. Kenneth Kohler, 65 to 47. Grover Reed, 67 to 73. James Hilgendorf, 73 to 80. William McElroy, 1980 to 1991. Jack Holcomb, 91 to 2000. Tom Parks, 2000 2013. Um, And you've been stuck with me for five years. (laughs) Um, A lot has transpired over these last five years. I just wanted to tell you a couple things. When I came, we were were just under $300,000 in debt. Um, and in about two, two years, we paid off all that debt, predominantly by a $190,000 gift. We've baptized over 30 people. We have more children on a Sunday morning, not necessarily in the summer, but during the school year, we have over, over 50 kids weekly um, that are here on Sunday mornings. That's more than we've ever had on a regular basis during the school year. We never had one other time previously. We've been able to hire two full-time staff and a part-time person in the last five years, um, our community garden feeds more people now than it probably ever has. It's bigger than it's ever been, and it looks better than it ever has. I don't know what you do with that. It just looks better. Um, but there's been some really good things. Um, I love you more now than I did before. I also know you more now, so I, I don't know if I like you more or not, but I love you more. Um, that probably goes both ways, I hope. But there's some areas that we, we kind of need to improve if we're going to be honest. The year it came, we averaged 247 weekly in attendance. This last year, we finished at 212. It's down 35 people per week. Now, to be fair, we've had 53 funerals since I've been here. Like, if you do the math, you're like, that's a difference. I get that. We average about 400 different people attend here monthly. Um, we started tracking that because we're just curious because we know some of you don't come every week. We wish you did. We, we would, we'd love to see you more. So we started tracking to figure out what some of this looks like. At first glance, you could say, well, we're okay. I mean, we've lost 53 people. That's a lot of people. In fact, if you were to read some of the church stats, they tell you if you're close to maintaining as you were 15 years ago, then you're actually doing really well because at the attendance patterns of most people, then you're, you're probably kind of maintaining where you were. Like, that's a good thing. But I, I want to say today, I don't think it is. Um, I read some numbers to you five years ago. Those numbers, I mean, they probably have changed, but the census hasn't been done until 2020, so I can't tell you what the new numbers are until about two or three more years. 
I read these numbers to you five, five years ago. Five years ago, I told you that within five miles of this church, there's 72,376 people who live here. In 2010, 70% of them claim no church affiliation. That's 50,547 people. In our county, there are 170,000 people, I think it's 178,000 actually who live here. And 120,000 of them claim no church home. That's about 70%, by the way. Um, So when I say 212 weekly, that's sad. It's not a better word for it. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. I I gave a challenge that first Sunday. I said, what if in the next 10 years we impacted 10% of this? I said, heck, what if we impacted 1%? We're not close to either one of those yet, by the way. In fact, I, what I began to say is this. Um, it's a lot of people whose stories need to be made new. It's a lot of people who, who may or may not know that God loves them. It's a lot of people who, who God wants to do his transformative work in and through their lives and their hearts. And he wants them to know Jesus in ways that are life-changing. They bring joy to life. They give purpose and meaning to places maybe we didn't know we needed purpose and meaning. The truth is, I probably haven't led you well in some ways, and that's part of the reason for that. But the other part of that is, we, you, have probably not done a good job of inviting people to know Jesus either. To be on whether I want to say that or not, but it's true, so sometimes truth hurts. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, James tells us that people wander from the faith. So of those people who are not at church today, many of them were at one point in their life. Probably about half. But they came to a place where they said that the church just didn't work for them. And so they are what we classify as like the de-churched people. Like it's just not, it's good for you but not for me. And I was thinking about how, how for many of us, like that's, that's a problem. And here's why that's a problem. Because we long for church of yesterday, and they left that church. And they're not coming back to it. And that church of yesterday won't come back either, no matter how much we want it to. I think I would have liked to have been a pastor about 50 or 100 years ago. I really think it would have been easier then. I really do. Because culturally, it was like, just made sense to go to church. It benefited you personally, so people just went to church. So I would have loved to have been a pastor then. It was easier. That's not where I live. Like, no matter how much I wish I did. My grandfather and I have had that conversation. He's 70, 77 years old, and he's talked about that, and, and he just jokes about it. He goes, well, I'm glad it's you and not me now. You know, like, um, good luck. Hope it goes well. Um, see, I, I think we all lose people we love. This week, I, I lost, there were, I saw my wife, there were about four people that really invested in my life, kind of outside the church. Um, I was a high school student. There were, there were, school administrator, a teacher, and then two coaches. Um, and they both coached tennis. And, and one of them passed away on Friday. And so I was talking about Bob. And I was talking about, like, Bob was this guy who um, was like a big kid. I mean, married three, I think three or four times. I, I lost track. Um, but Brenda was his wife the whole time. I really knew Bob. And, and Bob, Bob, when I first met Bob, he was assistant coach. And Bob would, would, um, would drive. We, we could drive to matches in cars. I miss where that got stopped. But but Bob would roll down the window and smoke out the window as he's driving, like, because he knew we didn't need to breathe it, but he, he needed to get a smoke in. So he would smoke out the window. Um, we used to listen to, to, because it was his choice and it was his car, we listened to Britney Spears and Jennifer Lopez in the car. 
because he's, his words, they're hot. Um, he's like 60, he's 58, 60 at this time. I don't know. Like, I didn't do the math. He was too old to be saying that. Um, but we were really, we became really good friends, and he invested in me as an, as an athlete and would check in on me and, and, um, and my brother as well. And, and so all of us kind of are just bummed for, for his wife, Brendan, this week. But by the end of my brother's college career, I would always drive back when we'd be in season in college. My brother was still in high school, and I would drive back for the state tournament every year and go to all the matches to watch my brother play. And I would always ride with Bob. And so Bob went from smoking his cigarettes and listening to Britney Spears and Jennifer Lopez and occasionally Christine Aguilera, too. I mean, I, I left her out, sorry. Like, this was that time. Um, so by the time I was in college, he, he, he started listening to Christian radio. He's like, I think I need to get my life turned around. He quit smoking. Like, he, he began to turn his life around, and God began to work in his life. It was just fun to watch from afar. But I think about how many Bobs are in our community that need someone to invest in them, whether younger or older, doesn't matter. See, I, I mentioned 120,000 people, and people go, oh, this, you just want a bigger church. No, no, I mean, I do, but because God does, and you should too, but see, every one of those numbers that we just mentioned, that represents a person who has a story that we need to get to know. And their story matters to God and it should matter to us. So I, I can't help but think, what would happen if you and I, what if we committed 5 or 10 or 15 or 30 minutes a day to praying for people who, who don't yet know Jesus? And what if we took it a step further? What if rather than just praying for people who don't yet know Jesus, what if we built relationships with people and we love them where they are, not where we wish they were, or wish, with what we wish they were doing? What if we just love them where they are? See, I think we can really embrace the words of James now, here, today, and say, hey, I'm going to love them. I, I'm not going to speak poorly about them. I'm not going to judge the lifestyle in which they find themselves living. But I'm going to do everything I can to help them know Jesus because partially, I mean, for selfish reasons, because James says it covers over a multitude of my own sins. Like we realize, I said last week, and I, I'm probably going to harp on this a lot for a while, is the church is the one organization that exists for those who are not yet here. And it needs to. It eternally matters. So we could sit here today and say, well, it's been five years. We've gone the wrong direction weekly. I mean, we are, we are truthfully ministering to more families today than we were five years ago. That's good. But there's a lot more to go. So our mindset has to shift. It must. We must begin to ask the question, what does it take for us to reach the people no one else is reaching? What does it take for us to be a church that exists for those who are not yet here? Or like sometimes it's hard because we, we want certain things so desperately that we hold on to them, we want them. In fact, we, we may even lose our children, our grandchildren may leave the church or even go to other churches because they're just tired of things here. That's not good enough and it's not okay. The definition of selfishness and pride So I apologize for whatever ways I have been poor in leading. But I'm not okay with where we are. 
and I'm disappointed if you are. Our collective heart should break. Every time we think about a child or grandchild who doesn't know Jesus, and maybe they could have been a part of us, but we drove them away. Because of that 120,000 people who don't have a church home in Muskegon County, I've encountered countless who at one point went here and don't anymore. What if? What if we said enough? What if we said we will do whatever it takes to reach people? Because here's the thing at the end of the day, a challenge for you and for I is this. If we say we follow Jesus, then may our life reflect that. May our actual values be seen in our stated values. May we make one of the major shifts in our life to do this, that we want to invite people to know Jesus, and we want to invite them to his church. So I'm inviting you this morning in just a moment. Um, we don't do this very often. If you're a guest with us, it might even seem weird, but we don't do it very often, so I'll just acknowledge that. I'm inviting each of us to pray for a collective heart change. In fact, I'm going to give an invitation for you to come and kneel and pray and recognize for some of us in this room, our hearts really do need to change. Because if we say we love Jesus and we don't love others where they are, then we don't really love Jesus. And the other thing I would add to this is this. Um, my prayer is that we will begin to live and act and speak in a way that our community will know that God is for them. And so are we. Like, here's the thing, God's for them. But here's the thing, them are us. God is for us. And so this morning, my invitation is this, will we be willing to do whatever it takes like, I say this in the summer because I know we have maybe a guest or two with us today, but usually in the summer, it's, it's not a lot of guests because they're all on vacation um, with our regular people, so everyone's on vacation except for us. So um, we're glad you're here or camping or whatever. But, and some of you won't be here next week because you'll be camping. I get it. But what if today we made a decision and we said, you know what, ah, whatever it takes, I will lay aside whatever personal preferences I need to lay aside. I will do whatever it takes, whatever we need to do to move forward to reach people that no one else is reaching, I am good with. Because I love these people here, and I'm committed to that end because Jesus commands me to it. And can I tell you today, I know that's not easy. Can I tell you today that for some that's a greater sacrifice than for others? Can I tell you I get that, I understand that, I hear that? But can I also tell you today that if we, at the end of our lives, when we stand before God in some way, shape, or form, and he says to us, hey, how come you wanted this more than you wanted them? We want good answers for those questions. And so can I invite you today to join with me in that? Can I tell you I don't know all that that will look like, but I know it'll be different? Can I tell you, I promise we will continue to, to invest in people and help develop disciples because that's what Jesus calls us to, but we will we'll try to exist and become a church that unchurched people want to be a part of. Like, that matters. We want to be this magnetic kind of energy that is Jesus. 
I mean, there's something tangible about when you, and I, I mentioned last week, I said, can you remember in your life, do you remember the moment that you decided you wanted to follow Jesus? Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember the moment, like, there's something kind of stirred in you, and you're just like, this is, this is good? And if you haven't felt that, I hope you feel it someday, and if it's been so long ago, I hope you feel it again. Right? There's something about when you become this place where you recognize that you were created in the very image of God and he loves you as you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. Right? He wants you to live in such a way that others come to know his love in life-changing ways. I mean, this is the essence of who God is. And it should be the essence of his people. And so my invitation this morning, we're, we're gonna, um, the praise team's going to come and they're going to they're lead us in, in the song... Um, Take my life, because I think maybe today some of us need to actually pray that. And probably some of us who've been in the church a long time. And so I'm going to invite you to stand at this time, and they're going to lead us in this song. And, and as they lead us in this song, I, I, before that I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you in this moment that, that maybe today, if you need to confessionally say, God, I want to be all in on whatever it looks like to, to not only know you in greater ways, but to help other people know you, I'll do whatever it takes and here's my challenge, and I don't care if you're old or young. Maybe today we need to make a, a tangible expression of that and move forward. And this is probably people who already know Jesus. And I would invite you to come and to kneel and to pray. And to pray that our collective hearts would be the kind of hearts that we would say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but I read the words of James. And what he tells us is this, if I will help people know your son, Jesus... I will, and whatever else I get wrong, I'll get that right. And the very essence of Jesus is this, that he wants us to know God's for us, that we are created in the very image of God. And he loves us. And he wants the world to be radically changed because of that. Right? So the church is to be the only organization in the world that exists for those who are not yet apart. May we become faithful to that. May we live into that model of life. And here's the thing. We, we want people to know God's for them because God's for us. Because God's for all people because that's who God is. And so this morning I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And as I pray and as we sing, if you want to come and kneel and say, God, okay, whatever it takes. And if you can't kneel, you can sit in the front row. It's usually always open. No one likes to sit in the front row. But I would invite you in these moments to say, yes, God, whatever it takes, I want to be a part of a community of faith that is so committed to helping people know Jesus that whatever it takes, I will do. And I don't care if you've been in church five minutes or 50 years. This challenge is for you and for me. And I'll lay down whatever it is I need to lay down for the sake of the mission of God, and I'm good with it. And for some of us, we're going to have to keep praying that prayer over and over again. That's okay. But our commitment is this. The number of people who do not know Jesus, the number of people who are not connected to a church home and our community is way too great for us to be complacent and to want what we've always known. It's just too big. And we will be faithful. And faithfulness requires us to shoot for fruitfulness as a church. Because God's for us, and he's for them, and we're them.
Father, we thank you this morning in these moments as you as you work in and through us today. As a community, we desperately know we need your love because so often we fall short, so often we we just don't have it together. So as I think about my life and the life of this church over these past five years, we know we have probably not been good enough because you call us to greatness. You call us to live a life in which we reflect your love in ways in which our stated value of being followers of Jesus is seen as an actual value in our life and we live in such a way that our priority of life is to help others know you and for us to know you more. So today, may we be challenged and convicted in such a way that we live and we act and we pray as a people who desperately want that. So Father, we do confess our need for you this morning and we pray that you would help us to be all that you want us to be and may we lay down whatever it is we need to lay down so that you can pick us up and send us on our way and for us to live so that the world doesn't know what the church is against but they know that there's a God who's for them so Father help us to do that this day we pray In Jesus' name, amen. Take my life.